bought a new one. Again, mm-hmm. another putter. Mm-hmm. How many have you gone through in a year? <sighs> Not what do you, as well, what many. do you do with them after you've discarded them? You know, the problem is something happens to them that I they're not resellable so why do you do that <laughs> why do That's you throw clubs i don't get that i don't throw yeah you them. do you helicopter i've seen you do it when's the last time you see me do that i've seen you do it at craig ranch how long ago is that it doesn't matter i've never done it i just don't get it. i don't get why people get that irate and, never, and then you break and then you you alter them so you can't use them yeah that's yeah that's sad it is but. sad there's a reason I coined the word oblivion. Angry? You coined it. I coined it. You did. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take all the royalties from that because it makes perfect sense. You're you're oblivious and you're an idiot. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. It, it's the combo word that covers all. To make and there's my soapbox. What's that? Yeah, I almost choked on my V8. So, but we're uh, big fans. And uh, wish her the best. And, you know, missed the cut by three, and I saw a couple short putts miss. So she didn't – she wasn't – she wasn't uh, – how should I describe this? I can't even describe it. I can't come up with a word. But anyway, <laughs> she, I can't. I just can't. I, I can't. But it didn't overwhelm her. How about that? Sure, they're going to comp you. That's, isn't that kind of the allure? I'm saying if you're spending that kind of money, yeah, you ain't paying to play Shadow Creek. But I'm, I'm, so I'm thinking, thinking. I bet you the majority of the people do not pay. Huh. Because I, I think it's mostly women. I don't think I intelligent. I can. You know, I, <laughs> Are you kidding? Turned angry Rick into happy Rick pretty quick. Oh, it didn't take long. <laughs> Might even get in the fast lane today and drive slow. It's pissed everybody else I, off. I have left lane outrage. You have throw putter outrage. I guess I'm just a happier guy. Back up to the donuts. Well, good morning, everybody. You've got the tea box as you always do at 8 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Um, we are here. Well, before I get to where we are and who else is here, um, Angry Rick is not with us this morning. No, Angry is Rick not. is vacationing his first time since the pandemic. He's somewhere in the upper. He's somewhere where there's bears. I know that because he's told me he's he's seen bears. So in his stead. We have maybe one of the biggest celebrities we've ever had on the tee box. And one of the biggest P1s in the area. Welcome, everybody, 2004 British Open champion Todd Hamilton. Wow. Good morning, Craig. So on your, I said this to you this morning, so on your PGA Tour profile, it says if you weren't a professional golfer, you'd be a broadcaster. So I know you've been on the air many times, how PGA, a British Open champion. First time hosting a show? Uh, I think it is, yeah. I think it is. All right. So roll tape. Maybe this might be a... Uh, <laughs> My demo tape. It may be your demo <laughs> tape. So uh, you're a big P1, too. 
also, right? Correct, yes. And if you, well, tell you where we are. We are at Classic Chevrolet, which is on the corner of 114 and William D. Tate. And the Claret Jug is here. And it is beautiful. It really is. It's a good-looking trophy, yes. It's smaller than you think. It is, yeah. I think this one that I have here is nine-tenths of the size of the original one. There's supposedly one that stays at the Royal and Ancient at St. Andrews, never leaves. Uh, the one you see on TV given out to the winner, he gets that for a year. Uh, I hear there's a couple other ones that they use for media days around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but this one is not the proper size. This is my replica. All the names are etched in it down to my name, 2004. Uh, I don't know what year the first one is. I'd have to look at it, but it's 1800 and something. So it's one of the oldest trophies. As I said, mine's a little bit smaller than the original. And I think that's so they don't get them mixed up. That's pretty cool. Well, they shouldn't get it mixed up because yours only goes 2004. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so anyway, I, it's very, very, I'm really glad you're here. Um, we've talked to you a million times about stuff, but there's a lot. So a guy who's won a major, there's not that many of you out there. There's probably in the, just in Dallas, Fort Worth, you've probably got four major winners. You, Jordan. Trevino. Trevino, and I was thinking Don January maybe won a major or not. I'm not a big golf historian. Lanny Watkins won I a PGA know. Championship. Lanny, yes. Lanny won one. So, um, it, with everything else, there's usually one or two more than what you think. So, right. we'll say five or six, maybe yeah. seven. So, really, really, really cool. And I think your career is one – I mean – you were a rookie of the year on the PGA Tour at the ripe young age of 38. That's correct, yeah. That is so cool. So we're going to get into your um, your career in a minute or how things went. But first, let's introduce the team out at, uh, again, we're out at Classic Chevrolet. Kern's out here engineering. Good morning. And Good morning. Don January won the PGA in 1967. Okay. There you go. So he he was like the first Champions Tour like star. Like when I was growing up, I remember him winning every week. He like, he definitely was a name for sure up yeah. there. Uh, Jay King's running the board as always. Great open. Last week was a little special, wasn't it? What's up, gents? Yes, it was. Yes. So uh, roll tape for uh, for Todd. He may need to use this later on. I've got it rolling, and I've got the M ready to press for Mark. <laughs> Anytime something happens, so we're ready. Who's doing Who's doing tickers today? I didn't hear this morning. Mr. Jacob Dedamore. Morning, Jacob. Morning, guys. I kind of wish I was out there with y'all. I'd love to see a claret jug in person. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's actually really, really cool. So um, we can always do it again. Yeah, we'll see how this week goes. That's right. <laughs> I'm open to it. We also have another uh, show sponsor that is PGA Tour Superstores, and they are opening a new store. Out in Arlington, it is on July 24th. We will be out there. Currency, you need to do a site check quickly. And uh, But we'll be out there, and you can always get the $50 off $250 if you just mentioned the tee box. Hell of a deal. Hell of a deal. So that is what we, uh, we need to do to clean things up early. But coming up next, let's go through Todd's career, because I find it fascinating how you made it to become a a major champion. We'll do that next.
and Sports Radio 96.7 and 1310, The Ticket. 816 on The Ticket. You got the T-Box. Craig here with British Open champ Todd Hamilton. Give you a lineup on the show. Uh, at 8.30, we'll do the leaderboards. And there's a lot of leaderboards, by the way. Um, a surprise winner, leader right now at the American Century Celebrity Events. And I bet you've played golf with him. If it's who I'm thinking, uh, I actually saw he made a two on the last hole, par five. Is that who it is, Madonna? Yep. We'll get that One at 8.30 because we've got a lot of leaderboards. We've got that. We've got the John Deere. We've got uh, a major at the in the seniors. We've got um, all sorts. of. we got a Scottish Open, which I'm sure you've played in at least once. Have you? Never have. No. Really? Uh, the week of the Scottish Open was always the John Deere, which is close to where I grew up, so I always felt obliged to play there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Admirable, too. At... Uh, Hold on. I lost my – I went somewhere else. At 8.50, there's been a lot of caddy talk, a question of who's Bryson's going to have his caddy. And I thought it would be a fun caddy talk uh, segment to go through with you is what how important caddies are and we'll talk about the feud between Bryson and and uh, Brooks and see if that if – that, did that happen while you were on tour and stuff and go through that. At uh, 9.10, I'm going to pepper you with questions because I've got a bunch. And then at 9.30, we'll do a British Open preview because you may know a little bit about that. But first, so you are, um, you've been doing, you've been being, you were a professional starting since 1988? 87. 87. Yeah. And you tried to go, to, did you try to get in Q school? You were an Oklahoma grad, big Oklahoma fan now. Oklahoma, yeah. I did the Q school uh, out of college five straight years. The first year, I shot 76 in the final round at a place in Florida. Couldn't tell you what the course was. Anyway, I shot 76, four over, and missed by, I believe it was three shots. Wow. To be that close, the way I was playing was, I was doing it with smoke and mirrors. So so going into round five, you you probably thought you had it. Had a chance, yeah. So, and then, so you don't make it, and you go overseas? Uh. I did some state opens, things like that. Uh, the very next spring, I went overseas and played the Asian tour, completely different than to what it is now. Uh, it consisted of about 11 tournaments spaced over three months. So I uh, didn't really have any success there and played some more later that summer, state open, stuff like that. Did the Q school that fall, basically did that for five straight years. And uh, really had no success whatsoever uh, until the fifth year of that Asian tour. I won their order of merit. Wow. And at that time, they were giving a year exemption onto the Japanese tour. So in 1992, I believe it was around May 1st, uh, I was on the Japanese golf tour. And you won that year. And I won later in that year, yeah. The Maruman Maruman Open, yes. And uh, that just gave you the that – you were telling me um, that it's different because you won in yen. Yes, I think I won 18 million yen, which, uh, if I remember right, it was about 150 yen to the dollar. So it was a lot of money to me at the time, but having played the PGA Tour and seen what the money is there, it really was just chicken feed. 
Okay, so you, you, you were on that tour for a long time, almost 11 years. And you won in 92, you won in 93, you won in 94, you won in 95, you won in number 96. And I found this, in 1998, you won the Gene Sarazen Classic on the Japanese tour, which yes. I found kind of funny. They, Gene yeah, Sarazen was, had a tournament there. It was a golf course named after him. I don't know if he had anything to do with it. Maybe he set foot on the property at one time, but... Uh, it was a really nice setting, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, uh, very relaxing setting. Pretty good golf course. Uh, I don't remember much about it. I think I beat uh, Craig Perry. That's correct. Good Australian golfer. Uh, I don't remember what scores I shot, but uh, obviously it was a good week for me. And You were actually closed with a 65. So that was, looks like my... I pro- probably needed every one of those, too. Yep, yep. So, I, so you... So between 98 and 2002. Terrible. Was it? <laughs> yes. Yes. But you kept your card there. I did, yeah. Uh, one of those events I won that you mentioned, or at least you mentioned the year, I think was one of the majors, and I got a five-year exemption. So, okay. So even though I had about five years of poor golf, I was still able to play over there through that exemption. So in 2003, you strike something. Something good happened. Yeah, I, I remember at the time I was driving it so poorly, it seemed like it took me two shots to get to where everyone else was there and won. So that meant I was pitching out, I was in the water having to drop, whatever that was. Uh, I went in, I was using tailor-made equipment at the time, went into the truck, uh, asked a the guy there, Bob Hassan, we called him said, hey, you got to make me up a driver. I can't, I can't find the fairway. I can't even find the shortcut of rough. I'm trees, bunkers, water, everything else. So he said, okay, Todd-san, <laughs> let, me, let me make you up a couple, and I'll bring them out to you. So he brought them out. I remember I was not in the pro-am that week. So I had these two drivers I was trying out. The range was not your typical driving range. It was actually two holes on another golf course. Really? One of them went out and went to the right, dog leg to the right. One of them went out, dog leg to the left. So I took these drivers out and I uh, just hit them. I'd hit a bucket of balls on the, the one that dog leg to the right just to see where my misses were if I missed. And then I'd hit another bucket on the one that went to the left to see where my misses were on the dog leg left hole. Lo and behold, I ended up winning that tournament that week. That was the Fuji Fuji Sanke Classic. They are uh, uh, like an NBC or ABC of Japan. Okay. And you rocked it there. You won by five shots. I did. It wasn't all the driver reason that I won. I absolutely putted. But you but you found good. something. Yes, I did. And it's kind of like riding a bike. You know, you you know you can do it. You've done it before. You just need to get that confidence going and getting that new driver. Whatever he did, what the shaft. I don't know what he did, but. He did it right. So you won four times that year on the Japanese tour. Correct. And was one, two of them majors or one major? I know you won the match play. The match play was the only one that was what they consider a major, and which that, is which is odd because it was only 32 guys. So it really so was the top 32 guys? Top 32 on the money list. And, uh, you know, prestige-wise, yes, it might have been a major, but for 32 guys, you got to beat more people than that. Okay, so at that point, you win four times on the Japanese tour. You win a major. 
you've got some level of skins at that point, don't you? Before you even decide to try the PGA Tour again, I mean, are you getting into majors? Are you getting into other things at that point, or is the Japanese Tour just not at that level? You know what? I think that year I got into the PGA Championship, uh, I think because of my world rank. I believe the top 100 are exempt into that tournament. You got in the U.S. Open in 1988. No. Oh, I'm sorry. In 1992, you got the Open. Are you talking about 03? Oh three, you got it. Oh three, you got it. You're right. PGA. You got into the PGA and yeah. you got into the Open, and that was at Oak Hill. And I actually played well up there. I think I finished thirtieth or so, 29th. Uh, and then I got into a World Golf Championship that year. It was sponsored by American Express. Don't remember the course, but they did it outside of Atlanta. And the good thing about getting in those events is they had just made up a rule that if you were in majors or world golf championships, that money counted toward your quote unquote home tour. Well, even though Japan wasn't my home, it was considered my home tour because Mm -hmm. that's where I played all my golf. So that money got put toward my, uh, money ranking that year in Japan. And it actually helped me get onto the PJ tour because the extra money that I made, uh, it was about seven and a half million yen, which <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you what that equaled back then. But uh, it allowed me to finish third on the money list that year in 2003 by about $5,000. Well, the top three guys on the money list got straight exemption into the finals of the PGA Tour. So that meant you were either going to the, at the time, you either go to the PGA Tour or you go to the nike tour at the time i guess or whatever or just go back to japan or go back to japan which which you why wouldn't you you're probably a stud at that point right i would have done that had i not gotten my card in the fall of 03 so you go to the final stage of q school how'd you i mean obviously you made it i played well uh i think i shot what was it seven or eight under maybe tied for 16th and at that time 50 guys got their cards okay uh, I think I shot a couple under the last day, made a good two-putt birdie in the last hole, which may have helped me get in a few more tournaments my rookie season. I don't know. Uh, but definitely felt good, uh, confident going into the 2004 season, knowing that I would be on the PGA Tour. Okay, so was that your first venture into the PGA Tour? Did you play any? I'd, the- I'd actually played some tournaments. Uh, I got a couple invites out of college. Uh BC Open back in Endicott, New York. Played in the, what was the, I think it was the Hardy's Golf Classic back then, now the John Deere. I probably played four or five PGA Tour. So now you got a full card. Correct. What's different? Were the sponsors calling? Hey, you're on the tour. Let me sponsor. I mean, you probably had good sponsors from Japan. I did, actually, yes. Uh, I was involved with some companies, one in particular. Titleist, Footjoy, that mm-hmm. they wanted to be in that Japanese market. You know, with Bridgestone and Dunlop over mm-hmm. there, they were they were the kings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Titleist, foot, a, a cushion it, uh, they wanted to be in that market. So they were willing to pay a little extra if you would represent them. And I had always been a Titleist guy uh, since I was a kid. I think my last year of college... I changed over to a Dunlop golf ball. It had some special dim- <laughs> some special dimples that was better in the wind. And being from uh, Oklahoma, at least college-wise, I went there. Uh, 
seemed to work better in the wind, but it was only a one-year deal. I've played Titleist my whole life. So I had some good good sponsors that way. So uh, when you got on the PGA Tour, Titleist said, hey, we don't need you anymore. we got plenty over in America. Or? No, no. <laughs> no, they, they want to keep their count up. Uh, I think they had, gosh, I don't know how many this week they had, but they had a lot of guys in the John Deere, like, 80 percent 90 percent that mm-hmm. used the tylus golf ball so so did so did anything change once you just moved over before anything else happened before you win before you do any have any success on tour you make it and you're you're on the you're on the tour you know you've got a year of you got a schedule and you're going to be on the pga tour any anything change uh not really you know a lot of guys go hog wild and they start changing equipment and changing golf balls things like that but i i had a lot of yen in your pocket i did yeah (laughs) nothing nothing really changed for me other than i got some nicer golf shirts i guess uh i i'm not a big equipment changer Mm -hmm. Uh, if i find something i like looks good to me and i've had success with i tend to use it Uh, matter of fact the the clubs i used when i got on tour i purchased I bought from a friend, had a golf shop in Flower Mound. Really? Set a set of Mizuno irons. Uh, 800 bucks, one through pitching wedge. I, I don't think I've ever touched the one iron, but I had it. Uh, 69134 was a serial number I remember stamped on the ferrule. So and you paid for them? $800, yeah. I'd wow. always wanted a real nice set of Mizunos, bought them, and uh, used them for quite a long time, actually. Okay, so we're, we'll stop here. So you're on the PGA Tour. We'll, you had some success, obviously, out there. But we're going to stop. We'll, br- we'll bring this back up at 850 um, because it's a great little story and it's a great success story. But next, we're going to go through the leaderboards because we always go through the leaderboards at 830. And, um, and uh, there's some interesting things at the top. And you know the John Deere very, very well, given you came there and you played a lot of time. So we'll get into that. But first, we need to talk about one of our sponsors, and that is the greatness of Advanced Plaster. Go to advancedplaster.com, our good friend JT. He uh, just finished the pool at Las Colinas Country Club. And I want to tell you, if you want to do business at Club Corp, they vet their vendors like you couldn't believe so for for him to be able to get that job that means they know he was going to do a great job and he did i went walked by saw the pool looks awesome and he can do the same thing for your house if your if your pool doesn't look the way it looked when you first built it you need to use them go to go to advancedplaster.com say jt you heard us on the t-box and he'll give you a special deal i don't know what he'll do but he because he's pretty reasonable i saw rick's house they did he did a great job in rick's backyard he'll do a great job for you too go to advancedplaster.com say hi to jt from sports radio 96.7 and 1310 the ticket t-box out at classic chevrolet which by the way if you are into a an electric car right now our friend dorian's doing a special deal for t-box listeners only a 2021 chevrolet bolt ev nine grand off it's practically free try getting a discount on any new car right now because nobody's got them and he's giving you nine grand off pretty good 
And we're out here uh, with Todd Hamilton. We've, we've got the Claire Jug out here, so if you want to uh, uh, come hold it, hug it, take a picture with it, uh, we'll be here till 10 o'clock, and you can uh, kind of do that. At 8.50, we're going to continue through uh, Todd's career. We just got to where he got on tour, and we'll go through what happened at that. But first, at 8.30, we always do the leaderboards, and there's a bunch of them to do today. First, there's a John Deere. You are from up there. I grew up about an hour and 15 minutes from the course, yeah. So I, I read that you played on a nine-hole golf course growing up. Correct. No longer in existence. So how did you become – I mean, it's – what happened? I have no idea. I mean, you're a big guy. You, you played other sports, right? I played basketball. I played baseball till I was probably 12 or 13. Basketball till I finished high school. But loved golf. Uh, it was a sport you could do by yourself. You know, basketball, you could shoot all day. But can you shoot when a guy is six inches taller than you and he's guarding you? Baseball, you can throw a baseball through a tire all day and be really good at it. But – can you get it past the guy's bat that's trying to hit it you know golf all you had to worry about was can you do it in front of people and i really didn't sure there were times that i was nervous but i didn't really have a problem doing it out in front of everybody uh, and i Had you? i mean were there tournaments to play up there did you have to travel or i played a lot of jun- local junior tournaments uh there were some in peoria illinois they had a like a summer series mm-hmm. uh, with their park district probably an hour and a half away uh, I played, I didn't play a lot of, like what they have now, the AJGA Junior Tour. I didn't, the I didn't. Texas Junior Golf Tour. Yes, exactly. I didn't do a lot of that stuff. I played uh, Insurance Youth Golf Classic, which is a big event. I assume it's still going on. Couldn't tell you if it is. Uh, U.S. Junior Amateur, I would try for that. So I would do a couple big ones throughout the year, but mostly it was just little stuff. And uh, so, how many colleges recruited you? Did you have a bunch? Uh, not not a ton, to be honest. Oklahoma obviously did. Texas did. I went to a recruiting trip there in Austin. Texas A and M did. Their golf coach at the time was from Illinois. Uh, there was a guy that was in my hometown that was a golf coach at Northern Illinois. He was in my hometown visiting some relation that lived just down the block from me. So he called me one time and said, hey, do you mind if I come down and talk to you? I said, sure. I wasn't ever going to go there, Mm -hmm. but gave him the courtesy of at least attempting to get me to go there, but too cold to play there. Yeah. I I wanted to kind of get away from where I lived and go somewhere where it was fairly warm. Uh, Norman, Oklahoma, you can't golf every day. Eventually, you're going to get some really cold weather. <laughs> uh, but you could golf a lot more there than you could around where I lived in the wintertime. Okay. So you are how old now? I will be 56 in October. So you're 56. How do you think you do playing in the John Deere this week? If the ball would run a little bit when it hit the ground, I might do okay. So Steve's tricker who's a few years younger than you. Yeah, he's probably 54-ish, I would yeah. say. He makes the cut at six under, and I don't know. I mean, he loves that course. He plays it really, really well. Rick actually took him on his DraftKings team this week. But I find it fascinating when a guy in his 50s can play with these guys because you know. So Steve Stricker, just so you know, his, his driving distance was 288. That's not bad. 
the ball's got to be running, right? Uh, probably a little bit. You know, that, that place there, it'd be a really good – it's a good tournament anyway, but it'd be a great tournament if they could play at a different time of year where the, the greens had a little more bounce to it. You could get them a little bit quicker. The fairways had some run because the fairways are quite wide. If they're any bit soft at all, it's like driving it onto a, an airplane strip. It's so wide. Uh, but if the ball bounced a little bit, those those drives that landed in the right half or left half of the fairway Could run into might the get into the rough, and it, it'd make it a little more difficult. So to put it in perspective, so Luke List is leading. He's a long hitter. I don't know where he is in this week in driving distance. He is number seven this year in driving distance. This year. So his average driving distance was 322 yards. So that's, that's 35 yards longer than Steve Stricker. And Steve Stricker made the cut. I, pretty impressive, I thought. So. That's pretty good. So Luke List is number seven. On He's the number seven. List. His downfall is his putting. He is, I looked this up last night, he is number 198 strokes gained putting. How off, So how much do you guys as pros look at those stats? I mean, you know whether you're putting well or not, right? Do you need yeah. a stat to tell you that? I, I very rarely ever looked when I was playing the tour, very rarely ever looked at my stats but if i said hey where are you in driving distance you could tell me you knew i mean you didn't know exactly so yeah i'm kind of middle of the pack or i'm upper third or i'm below third i I could give you a round estimate yeah yeah i mean you guys know that stuff i mean it's not are you a are you a guy that hangs out on the track man a lot or are you guy more of a field player more feel i don't think i've ever been on a track man to be honest ever ever yes Maybe once, maybe I've hit two shots. So you're Bryson DeChambeau's anthrax. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, leaderboard, I don't, I, you know, John Deere's, uh, the strength of field was really low this year. I think it was under 100. It was in the 80s, I think. You know, I did see Harrison Frazier was in that tournament this week. It was his last shot. Was it? it he was on a full medical exemption. He has a last shot. Um, but he's turning 50, so he's going to have – uh, he's going to try to get on the Champions Tour. I think he might have, don't you, it, when you're in between your 49th and 50th and you won, you get a few shots of playing in the, on the Corn Ferry. Yes. So yeah. I think he'll probably try to go do well, that. Well, you know, it used to be they had three spots every week for guys that were, I think it was between 48 and 50. They may have gotten rid of one, two, or maybe even all of those spots. I don't know. They might save one spot for him. So I think, I think he's going to probably go do that and then try to make it on the champion store as you know that's a close-knit society that's it's tough hard to get on but you know if he's playing well who knows so um you know we'll just go through the uh john deere quickly uh, sebastian munez who was a north texas grad he's uh in second he had a nice little 63 first day he's a merido member i think too is he i think um you've got some other local guys doing well, there. Craig Chalmers is doing well. Chalmers tied for 18th. Yep. John Senden shot eight under yesterday. He's got to be close to 50, isn't he? He is 50. Is he? Yes. I think he played his first Champions event in Houston this year. Okay. So he is 50, yes. Okay. Anybody else you got there? Looking Todd doing his research. Uh, You know, there were, let's see, there were three, six, four 68s. John Senden, or sorry, 63s, eight unders. John Sendon was one of them. Mm-hmm. Lucas Glover, who won the 09 U.S. Open. Chase Seifert, Seifert. Mm-hmm. 
And then Luke List shot the other best round of the week, four four eight unders so far. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And Kramer Hickok, I'm hoping he WD'd. I'm hoping it wasn't serious. So he, uh, I, I looked, at, I didn't see, but he, it was midway through a second round. He, had, he, he was halfway through. So I'm not sure. You know that it must have been. It could be bogeyitis. Well, let's, let's hope see. it's not serious. Let's see. Yeah, he uh, he doubled the eleventh hole after he birdied the tenth and well, and WD. So he's a good kid, though. Um, God, I say kid. He's probably 27, 28 years old now, right? Thirty-five is um, a kid to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right there with you. I was gonna look and see because we've got a the Champions Tour has a major. And Jim Fury, you you probably you know all these guys because they're all your age. Um, Jim Furyk's leading. Stephen Ames. Uh, Stephen Ames had a really good round yesterday. Course was playing tough. I don't um, know if you've played this course up in Nebraska, but um, I have not. I hear though, if you don't drive it straight, you're in trouble. And it's yeah. a very short course. What you would think? Uh, I think it's under seven thousand, probably sixty nine hundred something yards so it's very short but if you're not straight you're you're gonna have problems so Furyk's doing what leading and he and he's he's pretty much outpacing the rest of the field he's four under Stephen Ames is second at two under Miguel Angel Jimenez is one under and then those are the only guys under par so it's uh it's a tough go of it um I think six uh seven over made the cut so um <laughs> that's that's a hard golf course when you guys are making the cut at seven over. So Yeah, like I said, uh, the rough's up. Fairways, I'm sure, are narrow as it is a short golf course. And uh, if you don't drive it straight, you're going to be hacking out. If you're not putting good, you're probably going to be more than seven over and probably driving home. <laughs> and then we have the Scottish Open, which a lot of guys are over there because the British Open is next week. Uh, Lee Westwoods is... Uh, leading right now he's 400 for the day after nine holes he perplexes the hell out of me because he's either feast or famine he either play, he's playing really really well or missing the cut and this week he's playing really really well he's going to tease me for the british open and who knows? I, I think he's a guy he's a very good ball striker ball hitter uh when his name is up there his putting and chipping is on and when he's not up there I think his putting and chipping is not on. We've seen how bad one Ryder Cup where he missed everything, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it can happen, but when he makes it, he makes it. So, um, yeah, Matthew, Matthew Fitzpatrick was playing really well this week. John Rahm's playing really well this week, and so is Justin Thomas. We haven't seen him in a while. So, um, obviously, these guys are uh, over there to get ready for the British Open. Um, and then finally... The American Century Championship, which is a definite stop down watch for me every year. I don't know why, but I like it. Um, I'm going to ask you about, uh, so Mike Madonna is tied for the lead. He, uh, as you said, he made a nice little two. He went birdie, birdie, albatross last three holes. That's a good finish. That is a pretty darn good finish. And uh, I played with him a bunch. Um, I'd say the same thing about him that you said about Lee Westwood, he can ball strike the hell out of the ball, but his putting was always a little off. I've played with him one time, and uh, at that time he was using a long putter. So usually when you see guys with long putters, you realize that they're, one, can't putt very good, 
or two can't putt very good. <laughs> so, our uh, Tony Romo's in ninth, so he's in, definitely in contention. The one I was going to ask you about, tied for fifth, is Annika Sorenstam. How does she not win this thing? <laughs> I don't know. I assume she's playing from the same tees. I don't. I didn't see, but if she's not, she should be. Yeah, but doesn't she? I mean, she's a professional golfer. I would think she'd be a shoe in. Yeah. So she's tied for fifth. She's she's just two points back with she's two points back with no double eagles. So, um, but I I I mean I'm anxious. To, I haven't seen her play. None none of us have seen her hit a golf ball in a long time. So I'm anxious to see that. Um, but man, she's, I would think she'd be a shoe in to win that. Yeah. So I tried to bet on her. <laughs> they wouldn't take it. No. <laughs> no. I don't know. I mean, yeah. So anyway, that is, uh, that is the, uh, leaderboards that was brought to you by club corp, their, uh, La Cima and their, um, tower club. Great places to go. Have a nice meal. You can go to clubcorp.com and go take a look at those. Coming up next, we'll continue the story of Todd Hamilton's career. And we'll have a little caddy talk because it's a big curiosity is who's Bryson going to put on the bag at the British Open next week. We'll do all that next. On Sports Radio 96.7 and 1310, the 10. Got a bunch of questions. I'm going to pepper Todd Hamilton with at 910 probably carry this segment over too and then with 950 or 930 we'll do a british open preview as you've probably played this course and um want to know why you're not playing the lifetime exemption don't you i'm not a big fan of it plus they've got a lot of restrictions oh the travel stuff yeah Yeah, let's get into that at 932 because you probably know all that stuff um but uh again we're we're talking to todd hamilton so todd last we were uh, going through, you had finally gotten on the PGA Tour. And so now you've got a regular schedule. You know what your, you know what your calendar looks like. You're starting to play. How'd things go early on? You're 38 years old. You're a rookie on tour. How many friends did you have on tour? Did you have many? I mean. Uh, yeah, I had quite a few, actually. Uh, you know, it didn't go that great early on. Until about Doral, which back then Doral was not a world golf championship like it was for a couple of years. Just a regular old event mm-hmm. down near Miami. Uh, I think I finished about 30th place. Made a pretty good chunk of cash, 40000 bucks, which was a good start as a rookie, mm-hmm. you know, having to make whatever it was, six hundred, seven hundred thousand to keep your card. So it was a good uh, good amount to make early on, and it uh, seemed like from then on I played played a lot better throughout the rest of the year. Okay, so we get into March, and you play the Honda, which is a really hard golf course. It is, yeah. Looking, uh, looking back, uh, you know, the greens had a lot of movement to them. Tom Fazio design. Pretty generous off the tee. The rough was up, if I remember, so you had to be in the fairway, even though it was wide open. Mm-hmm. Uh, greens had a lot of movement to them, so you had to be on the right section, the right side of the hole. Uh, throw in 15, 20-mile-an-hour breeze. So it was it was a golf course you could make a lot of pars on if you played well. You could also make a lot of bogeys. 
and and higher if you didn't. Okay, so walk me through this. You shot an opening round 68. I don't remember my scores. But well, I'll tell them to you. Okay. And you followed that up with a 66. So you're going 68, 66 going into the weekend. You had to be either be leading or close. Uh, I do not remember. I do know I was leading after the third round. I, so I shot another 68 after the third round. I think I had a four-shot lead. You had a four-shot lead. Yes. And, and how, after, so for somebody who's never won on tour, how hard was it to sleep on a four-shot four lead? Uh, it, it wasn't too bad for me. I, I could sleep anywhere. Uh, when I used to go to Japan, I would stay up all night packing and you know eating my last good bit of food for two or three weeks and uh, there were times where I fell asleep before we even took off really yeah and I'd wake up about an hour before we landed the stewardess would come by and say what kind of drugs are you on I want to know because I want to get some of those Uh, but I, I actually had no I probably didn't fall asleep when I wanted to but it wasn't like I was up till all hours of the night Worried worrying about it. about it. Yeah. So, um, was it at that time? I mean, you just said you made a nice little check at um, at Doral. It, the money wasn't what it was now, what it is now, but it, it was significant. Are you thinking I just need to preserve into the top five, or I'm going to win? No, I I definitely wanted to try to win. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in that position and you don't come through, it's a disappointment. Sure. Uh, I, I do remember the the start of the fourth round. I parred the first hole. The guy that was four shots back bogeyed, so I had a five-shot lead with 17 holes to go. That would have been a major disappointment had I not won with that big of a lead. So you did shoot 74. and yeah. That's birdie in the last two holes as well. So I was four over par. You were four over. With two holes to go. Did you? And you needed to birdie them both. You were uh, in a battle with Davis Love. I don't know how far back he was going into the final round. Yeah, I don't remember. I think he had a decent last day. And so you beat him by a shot. Beat him by a you shot. You win the Honda. Yep. And that has to change things for you. I mean, when, you, when somebody wins on tour, we all, Rick and I always talk about this. What's the biggest thing? The two-year exemption? Getting into the Masters? The check? What was the biggest thing with, with that first win? I think it depends on who you are. Uh, for me, as a rookie, uh, probably the two-year two exemption was the best thing for me. Uh, the money was 1A probably as mm-hmm. well. Uh, but for somebody like uh, Tiger Woods, you know, he's going to be in the Masters anyway, so that's not that big a deal. Sure. Uh, the two-year exemption, he's going to be on tour for life if he wants to. And then the money's not that big a deal for him. Sure. But for me, it was probably the two-year exemption was number one. 1A was the money. Sure. And then... Do you uh, remember what it was? Uh, I think it was $900,000. That's a big number. Yeah, that is. And now it's probably close to one two or one three. So you win... As a as a PGA Tour winner, now um, you had contracts. You were with Titleist at the time, and you had probably had a couple other um, sponsors. Did the phone ring as a as a PGA Tour winner? Not really, because I, I was under contract already. Uh, 
I but had a, NetJets didn't call, or no, her, no. her Rolex didn't I, call. I'm not a net NetJet person. I would fly. Uh, I wouldn't probably wouldn't fly private unless it were Free? offered. Yes, unless it were given to me, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. Uh, I like to mingle with the common folk. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I was under contract already with Cushnet uh, or Titleist, mm-hmm. and uh, what was your shirt sponsor? Footjoy. No, I was wearing Adidas clothing at the time, which I was with TaylorMade, so TaylorMade and Adidas were partnered together. Uh, I do have to tell one kind of quick thing: uh, Saturday, sorry, Sunday morning uh, before the final round, I went to the grocery store. And I knew whether I won the Honda or lost the Honda. I knew I was in the next week, which was Bay Hill Arnold Palmer's tournament. Uh, I knew whether I won or lost, I needed to do, to do laundry. Whether I won <laughs> or lost, I wasn't going to want to do laundry. So I got up early in the morning. I had a tea time at probably 2 o'clock or so. I went to the grocery store. I bought a, a newspaper, Palm Beach Post, I think it was. I wanted to read about the tournament, read about the four-shot lead I had, <laughs> all the pressure I'm going to feel. I bought a Diet Coke, and I bought some laundry soap. And the cashier said that'll be $7.77. So I had a good feeling that something hey something good, good was, was going to happen. So I went and did my laundry before the final round. Did you really? Yeah, I did, yeah. I'll be damned. I'll be damned. That's life on the road, right? Exactly, yeah. Okay, so that – Event puts you top twenty-five in the world. Did it? Winning it? Yes, it did. You were twenty-fourth. Because I know, I looked in to see. Okay, how did you get into the British Open? And it had all the ways everybody for the two thousand four British Open. It showed how everybody got in. You got in because you were twenty-fourth in the world. I think I was in because of my play the previous year in Japan as well. Because I finished uh, top three on the money list. It's, when it says who got in. It said you were t- one Just of the top fifty. One, one, yeah. Usually it lists a couple it, different ways. It said, it, I didn't look at you. I looked at the event, and oh, it said okay. so. It might you might have been able to qualify for other reasons, but okay. first top fifty in the world, and you were you gotcha. were in there. Gotcha. So your top fifty, your top fifty in the world, you get to the British, you get to the British Open, and give me give me the early way how that started. Well, I was, was that was it your first British Open. No, uh, I had played the year before in 2003 at the venue where they're playing this year, Royal St. George's at Ben Curtis one. I had qualified for two while I was playing golf in Japan in 92 because I won the Asian Order Merit, which was at Muirfield in 92. Mm-hmm. And then 96, Tom Lehman won. That was at Royal Litham St. Anne's. So this was my fourth one, I believe. Uh, I played the week before at the John Deere Classic, just barely made the cut, didn't didn't play very well at all. Actually missed a flight because of bad weather. I was supposed to fly <laughs> from Quad Cities to Chicago, Chicago to uh, the British, or the Open, as they say. Uh, there was bad weather in the Chicago area, so my flight from the Quad Cities to Chicago was canceled. My mother lives in Rock Island, so I was staying with her, just spent the night, got the same flight, the next day just a day later so instead of getting over there monday around noon at the golf course i got there tuesday about noon which how much how much did that affect i mean when your preparation obviously it didn't but uh 
I would rather have been there 24 hours before I got there mm-hmm. just for the preparation part of it. Again, I wasn't playing well, so I needed to find something. So I needed that. You extra. say you weren't playing well, but you just you won. Well, that was three, four months prior. Okay. So Fair enough. You know, the week before, pro golfers are finicky. You know, I could shoot 65 today, 74 tomorrow, and I'm not playing good, you know. Or I could shoot 78 today, 64 tomorrow, I'm playing great. Right. So I missed a flight, got over there a day later than I wanted. Uh, I was kind of tired, wasn't playing very good at all. I mean, I'm not even hitting in the middle of the club. But one thing that I made sure that I did was take good notes. You know, if this bunker was in play with a driver, don't hit driver. Mm -hmm. If you can hit driver and get over this bunker, Maybe hitting driver is a better play to certain pins. Maybe a four iron short is a better play to certain pins. So I really paid attention to my note taking and I took good notes. Uh, first round, I think I shot even par, made about a 25 footer on the last hole for birdie to shoot even par. And for some reason, even though it's just a one shot difference, that putt elated me or Got you made going. me feel really good sure. about my game. Uh, I didn't hit it very good the first day, but I found something on the driving range after that round, uh, and I started hitting the ball in the middle of the club, started to get that confidence back. I was putting and chipping well, uh, so I knew when I when I wasn't hitting well, I could save a good score, but when I was hitting it well, that score would be really good. You know, I'd start making mm-hmm. these putts for birdies instead of pars. Uh, I think I shot four under the second round to make me four under after two days. I don't know what position that was. You were tied for fifth. Okay. Skip Kendall was leading at seven under, and you had Thomas Levette and KJ Choi were at uh, were behind him, and then you were tied with Ernie Els, Colin Montgomery. Listen to this: you were tied with Ernie Els, Colin Montgomery, VJ Singh. And you were one stroke ahead of Retief Goosen, Phil Mickelson, and Kenny Perry. And Kenny Perry, Perry at the time was hot as a pistol. I was going to say, I thought it was a really good leaderboard as far as names. Uh, I do remember uh, Mickelson in the end was up there. Uh, so Saturday, Davis Love, I think, was up there at the end. So Saturday might have been where you kind of differentiated yourself a little bit. Saturday right? I played really well. One of the, either the second round or third day, I didn't make a bogey and I shot four under. Both those days were four under. One of those days I didn't make a bogey. Well, on that course, in those conditions, that was unique. Yeah. I bet you were the only guy in the field who didn't make a bogey. Uh, could be. Yeah. Well, the times that I was out on the course, you know, you think about the British Open, the weather's terrible and it's very windy. The times I was on the course, I don't remember it blowing ridiculously hard like we see around here in north Mm -hmm. texas a lot of times i think it probably blew at most 20 miles an hour when i was on the course it could have blown harder for other guys but for me it didn't seem real windy maybe that's because i was used to playing golf around here a lot sure in the wind and i think rain wise maybe rained five to ten minutes and when i say rain just kind of just annoying yeah not not the heavy where you got to bundle up uh, under an umbrella all day. Okay, so it's final round, the British Open, major first major you're contending in. Correct. 
and you're paired with Ernie Els. Ernie Els, yeah. And we'll go through what that round was like coming up next. On Sports Radio 96.7 and 1310, The Ticket. T Box out at Classic Chevrolet, where they'll give you cash on the spot for your used car if you want to sell it. They just come on in, say, hey, we'll give you this, and uh, you can go out with a check. You can also get a Chevy Bolt. Good luck getting a discount on any new vehicle right now, but you can get nine grand off. So uh, come on out and check and get an electric car. Go see Dorian. So we're talking to Todd Hamilton, and we're ta- we've gotten to the 2004 British Open, and we're in the final round. By the way, I have to ask, it's 2004, and in the world of golf in 2004, everybody wants to know where Tiger is. Where's Tiger at this point? Do you, any idea? As far as his golf game? As far as where he was in the tournament. And, oh, and, if, uh, as, you're, and as you're in there, are you still wa- looking and seeing where he is? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah. You always always watch. Not just him, but everybody. So you know, so you're looking at the leaderboard and you're saying, okay, the top, there were, there were five, top five at the time. It was VJ, Phil, Tiger, Goosen, and Els. Those were the five, Marino. right? <laughs> And so everybody was like, you're probably looking, where are those guys, right? Yeah, probably so, yeah. Tiger, I'm going to guess, I remember him not playing, obviously, his best. I'm going to say going into the final day, he was 20th place, maybe? He backed into a top 10. Okay. He finished tied for nine. Played good the last day? Yeah. He played, shot even par. Oh, okay. Maybe he was better but, than 20th then, going into the last round. But, obviously, um, you know, he needed. he would have needed to do something to – catch you guys yeah so as you're one of the top 30 players in the world at this point you're 24th in the world you've had to this isn't the first time you're playing with one of the studs of golf and ernie Els, right you played with him the day before you played with him on saturday played with him the third round actually got paired with him in a tournament in japan i don't couldn't tell you what year it was probably early 2000s he he'd come over for a tournament the dunlop phoenix which is one of the bigger events that we had over there uh got paired with him the first day and it was a unique tournament you you weren't guaranteed a, an early tee time the first day and a late the second day or vice versa uh your second round tee time was based on your performance in the first round so uh, we got paired together the first round we had a mutual friend from mckinney i uh, mentioned that guy's name to ernie ernie knew him really well so uh we talked about that a little bit. Uh, uh, talking guy when I play golf, so just kind of keep to myself. If I get talked to, I'll obviously converse with you, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I'm more focused on the golf part of it. Uh, but Ernie, great champion, uh, very relaxed to play with, super nice guy. Uh, his caddy, Ricky, couldn't tell you his last name, but uh, – known ricky for quite a long time Mm -hmm. so good pair to be around a little bit nervous going going against them so this is different than final round of the honda it's a different feeling right i mean you're more way more nervous it it's amped up a little bit i i wouldn't say more nervous uh maybe 
nervous longer rather than after that first tee shot at the Honda or after that first hole at the Honda, the nerves were gone. Right. Uh, maybe the nerves didn't leave until the third tee at the British Open. Okay. And so you're playing in, in – and how did it go? Just go walk through the, the, the way it went. Because you had a one-shot lead. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I wish I could remember about that week. Uh, <laughs> there's some unique things that I can remember that stick out, but there's a lot of things that I, I don't remember at all that I wish I could. Uh, I remember that I think Mickelson actually held the lead early in the front nine maybe after about the fourth hole. It was a par five, and I think he had pitched in for an eagle or made a birdie or something to to actually take the lead. Uh, but Ernie and I were, you know, we were worried about what we were doing, not focused on everyone else, as we should be if we're trying to win a tournament of that magnitude. Uh, I I think when it went south for Ernie, uh, was the 10th hole. It was a unique hole. You can't see the landing area. You have to pick a spot on a hill and aim at that spot uh, to try to hit the fairway. You can't see the fairway at all. Uh, he had driven it in the right rough, and I think he ended up making a double bogey on the hole, and I missed about a five-foot putt and made a bogey, but it seemed like his morale was down after that. Uh, having said that, he made one of the greatest pars that I've ever seen on the very next hole. He drove it right. It's another hole where you can't see the fairway. You you have to uh, pick a spot on the hotel in the background. <laughs> and it's it's a hole. There's a railroad that runs along the right-hand side. It's about 490 yards. Matter of fact, in early opens, it used to be a par 5, but it was a par 4 then for us. He drove it right. Uh, they had trouble finding his ball. We got up there, and his ball was about three feet in the air in one of the gorse bushes, suspended oh, no. in the bush. I had driven it down the middle of the fairway. So I see him. He's going to attempt to hit this ball, baseball style, you know, like mm-hmm. the little kid's t-ball. And I, I'm just thinking and talking to my caddy, Ron Levin at the time. Bambi was his nickname. I said, man, this could go south real quick for him. He's 15 yards, 15 yards right as a railroad, which is out of bounds. Sure. He actually hits a pretty good shot, hits it out in the fairway, ends up hitting it on the green and making a putt for par. I made a birdie on that hole to kind of thwart any momentum that he had. Cause even though I beat him by shot on that hole, his par was way better than my birdie because <laughs> that could have been six or seven sure. quick. And, you know, he would have been fighting to be in the top ten at the end sure. of the day. He made a bomb of a putt a couple holes later, about 40 feet. That kind of got him uh, back in, got the momentum going. I think the very next hole I chipped in from just off the green. And and at that point, that was kind of the time where I thought, man, this could really turn out. Really? So uh, not until that point. Yeah. I mean, I I was focused on what I was doing. But once that went in, that little chip, it was just a chip and run with a 9-iron, probably a 25, 30-feet shot, just – Okay, so it, it begs a question, and Rick and I talk about this all the time. So the money's gotten so big, and even in 04 it was big. Are you sitting there saying, okay, I don't really need to win. A top two, a top three, 
and if I just preserve where I am, because at this point right now it's a three it's a three person race between you, uh, Ernie, and and Phil. Everybody else has fallen back a little bit, and so is there something? Is there somewhere in your mind you're saying I just need to preserve where I am, or is it hey I can win the open I'm just going to win it? Because the money can be significant. Your life is significant. You you get a second or a third at the British Open, your life changes too. Right. Subconsciously, I probably thought. Don't screw this up. You know, don't make double bogeys. Don't make a handful of bogeys. Uh, but I was trying to win the tournament. Uh, I just mentioned that little chip in on 14. I had four holes to go. Uh, I don't remember if I was up by one or two at the time, but I had four holes to go. If I play these holes properly the way they're supposed to be played, don't drive it in any pop bunkers where you got to waste a shot mm-hmm. just hitting it, hitting sure. a 50-yard shot just to get out. Uh, just don't make a fool yourself for about another hour, and <laughs> and you might, you know, you might walk away with the trophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, little did I know that that hour would turn into two hours because we had a four-hole playoff. So, okay, so he birdies two holes in to to tie you. He bur- he made a great birdie on 17, which was about a 220-yard par three at the time. Hit it in there about 10, 12 feet, and made the putt. I actually bogeyed the last hole to his par. He he had a putt to win it on the last hole from about 15 feet. Uh, and we ended up tying. I thought he was going to make that putt, although it was a difficult putt. 15 feet, it probably had a foot of break up over a little rise. So it was a difficult putt. But I thought my run had come to an end. <laughs> I thought he was going to make it. Had my hat off ready to shake his hand. And, and when he didn't, then I thought, man, this just hold on for four more holes. You can do it. So you get to a playoff, and you got to be exhausted. Mentally, you got to be exhausted at this point, right? I mean, yeah, there was probably some adrenaline going, mm-hmm. uh, running on fumes, but uh, I had a good feeling. I had a good feeling about it. I remember my, my college golf coach who worked for IMG uh, at that time, the management company. He came out as I was going to sign my card. He said, man, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. And I probably sounded like a, a Rick with a P. But I said, I kind of snapped him. I said, you don't think I can do this, do you? And I don't know why I said that. But <laughs> the guy was my college golf coach for two and a half years at Oklahoma. Uh, but, it, you know, it was just the, kind of the moment. Just seemed like it was me against everybody else. So... Did you feel that? I mean, obviously, did you feel that way? Did you say, hey, I'm the underdog here? Going, obviously, you're playing against Ernie Els yeah. at the time. Oh, who was definitely the top was the underdog. You know, if you bet on me, you were a fool, mm-hmm. whether it be for the four-hole playoff or at the start of the week or at the start of the final round. My caddy at the time, he always, he always had a friend that would bet on his player in every major. Mm-hmm. So the guy bet on me. He didn't bet the correct way that he wanted. So he had to place another bet on me the way he wanted, and he won both bets. So that's about <laughs> that's about what kind of week it was. Very, very unexpected. And, uh, All right, so let's get into the playoff real quick. So you, so you start the four-hole playoff, and you part, you guys tie the first the, two the, holes. The first hole is one that if you're feeling, feeling good with your driver, you can drive it down by the green. The whole week I would hit three or four iron off the tee layup short of bunkers had a wedge in uh i forget who hit first 
but I, I, I hit iron off the tee, four iron. Ernie hit driver. We're walking off the tee, and to our left are big grandstands. That would be on the left side of number 18. So we don't see the people's faces. We just see the big grandstands. And then to the right is water. So we're walking off the tee, and I'm probably 20 yards either in front or behind Ernie. I think it's behind Ernie. I think he hit first. And some guy in a loudspeaker on the PA system goes, Mr. Ells has outdriven Mr. Hamilton by 80 yards. <laughs> and I turned to my cat and I said, well, hell, he should have. He hit a driver. I only hit a four iron. He should have. <laughs> well, he hit a decent shot in, second shot. I, mine wasn't that great. He had the best birdie look, 15, 20 feet. Didn't hit a very good putt. We both made pars. The next hole was just the opposite. It was a hole I usually had hit iron on. I thought I needed to get it down further to have a better shot. The pin was in a spot where as long as I didn't go to the right, even if I was in the left rough, I still had a good angle. I could bounce it up mm-hmm. onto the green. Just reverse of the first hole. I hit the better shot into the green, had a, had a better look at birdie, 15, 20 feet. Didn't hit a very good putt. We both made par. So one and two were basically a straight line. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of did a candy cane turn to the left, and then we came back to 17 and played 18. It was a four-hole aggregate, so it wasn't mm-hmm. sudden death. Right. So we were guaranteed four holes. So we get to 17, and I hit, again, it was about 220 yards. I hit a four iron. I didn't catch it in the middle of the club, but it was right at the pin. And it hit short of the green and bounced up. And it was one of those where if you hit it in line with the pin, it's very difficult to tell Mm -hmm. if it's three feet from the hole or if you're 25 feet from the hole. And I could hear the gallery there. They kind of, ooh, and that ooh got louder and louder as the ball got closer and closer. I thought it was really close, but it ended up being about 15 feet, which still a pretty good shot Mm -hmm. from, from that distance. Sure. In regulation, Ernie had birdied this hole, and I thought that he he might have made an error there thinking that if he could try to birdie it again, then he could win the tournament. Well, he ended up pulling his shot left, which was a spot you really couldn't hit. It was a difficult save to save your par from there. He hit a pretty good pitch to about 10 or 12 feet, which is the same putt he had in regulation that he made for birdie. Mm-hmm. I made par. He missed his putt at a one-shot lead going to the last hole. So we get to the last hole. I'm hitting a two-iron off the tee. Didn't hit it very solidly at all. Uh, How much your nerves creeping in now? I felt pretty good about it. I thought if I could just make a par on this hole. Make him have to make a birdie? Yes. And it was, as I said earlier, it was a tough pin. Wherever you were on the green, unless you hit it right next to the hole, you were going to have a tough putt. I didn't hit my tee shot very good with my two iron. And for the direction that it went, it was a blessing in disguise. Because had I hit that well, it would have been in higher rough than, a, than I was in. I was just in some, you know, first cut of roughs, like mm-hmm. an inch inch long, not very long at all. He hit a two iron, beautiful high draw, towering draw right down the middle of the fairway. So there's a bunker on this hole, 18, that's about 12 yards short of the green. All you have to do is carry that bunker, bounce it up on the green. You have to be careful because there's out-of-bounds over the green near the clubhouse. 
So I had a perfect yardage for a five iron that would have, as long as I hit it halfway decent, didn't even have to flush it. As long as I hit it halfway decent, it would carry that bunker, bounce up on the green, mm -hmm. two putt, force him to make birdie. So I hit a five iron, what I thought was pretty good. And as it comes down, if it didn't carry this bunker, it, it probably wasn't going to be very good. So it's coming down, and right when it gets ready to hit the ground, I hear the crowd go, oh, and I'm going, man, I didn't see it bounce. I'll bet it's in that bunker. And the bunker was 12 yards short of the green. The pin was on about 23 steps. So, so it was a long You're talking about shot. a 40-yard bunker yes, shot. Yes, with OB not too far over the green. So I'm going, man, I know I hit that decent enough. It should have carried that bunker. He hits, I think it was a seven iron, beautiful high shot right at the pin. If he wasn't on the same spot he was in regulation, he was an inch from it. <laughs> I mean, he had the same putt. So I'm walking up to the ball with my caddy. Don't see a ball, don't see a ball, don't see a ball. I finally see the ball. It had just carried that bunker. And because there must have been people that had been in it, through, maybe not in that mm -hmm. week, but throughout the years, the sand had been hit out and just on top, and the ball probably hit there and just hit dead instead of bouncing, and that's why we never saw it bounce. So I'm about 10, 8 to 10 paces from the front of the green, and the pin, again, is 23 steps on. So I have about 100 feet to the hole. And I'm thinking, what should I do here? I, I could putt it lob wedge you could take a seven iron how much are you run. talking to your caddy at this point are you making decision yourself are you talking through with him i don't remember talking to him other than when i took the club that i chose to hit the shot which it's famous what was it it was a sonar tech hybrid which i'd used it was actually my three wood for the week it was 14 degrees it was 17 originally a friend of mine that worked for the company bent it to 14 degrees i use it as a three wood I don't remember talking, talking to my caddy other than when I pulled that club out and pulled the head cover off, I said, all right, Sticky, this is for you. Sticky was the guy that worked for the company. Okay. Dave, Dave Williams was his name. He went by Sticky. I, I remember Sticky Dave. I never asked him why he got the nickname Sticky, <laughs> I and I probably that. didn't need to know. <laughs> so I said, all right, Sticky, this is for you. Made a couple practice strokes with it like I'm putting. I hit it. I didn't think I hit it hard enough, but it had so much overspin, it kept rolling and rolling and rolling, and it just got over the crest of this little hump on the green, and it rolled up there. It was about two feet away. Perfect distance, just to the right of the hole, two feet. So I'm virtually guaranteed a par, unless I yak this little two-foot putt, which could happen. <laughs> Under the circumstances, it could happen. So Ernie basically has to make this 15-foot putt mm -hmm. to keep the playoff going. And then it turns, I believe then it turns into sudden death if right. we tie after the four. Yep. So he hits a putt, and as I said earlier, it basically is the same putt he had in regulation, but he hit a very poor putt. I was surprised. Uh, and I got up there, and if you... All the two-foot putts I had that year, if you 
took a stopwatch and timed me going through my routine and actually making the putt, and you timed this one, although it might have been the same time, it seemed like it was half the time. <laughs> How nervous were you on that one? I, I really wasn't nervous. It's no, just but it just seemed like time sped up real quick. Okay, so I have to ask, did Sonertech ever give you anything for that, or where's the club? I have the club. I believe it's in my basement. I have all the clubs I used that week. Uh, I actually have my putter actually is broken, and I didn't do it on purpose, but it's broken. I have the pieces, uh, but it's not in workable shape. Uh, I did get a very nice watch from Sonartech, nice Rolex watch, platinum, engraved on the back, uh, Todd Hamilton, 2004. I think they put British Open champion. So a real nice gesture. I didn't use the club because I wanted to get paid. I used it because I liked it. It fit my game. Sure. It fit what I was looking for. Great. <clears throat> so, uh, all right. So um, we'll get into what, how that changed your life, and a little bit of caddy talk as we've promised uh, coming up next. But first, we need to talk about the greatness of PGA Tour Superstores, one of our title sponsors of the T Box. Right now, if you wanted to make some money or save some money, you can go to PJ Tour Superstores and you can get $20 off any $100 you spend or $50 off any $250. If Todd would have bought his Mizunos, he'd have saved 50 bucks off his, his $800 he spent when he started on the PGA Tour. You could go on anything but Titleist or Ping. All you have to do is mention the T-Box at checkout, take it right off. Or you can do a free fitting van experience either at the Preston uh, Road or Southlake stores. You just have to schedule an appointment online and mention the T-Box in the section, and it's free. It's $150 value. And don't forget, July 24th, they're opening in Arlington. Finally, they got a store in, South, in Arlington, and we'll be there. And they'll be giving thirty grand worth of golf and tennis giveaways. Don't forget, they do tennis too. So go to PGTourSuperstores.com. Or just go visit one of the stores and save some money. You'll do yourself great. And uh, you can be a British Open winner like Todd. With your Mizunos or whatever you want to get. Go to PGA2PerStores.com and mention the T-Box and you will save money. On Sports Radio 96.7 and 1310, The Ticket. T-Box winding down. we got one more segment, and uh, we got Todd Hamilton. Thanks for coming, Todd, by the way. That was Thanks really, really fun. Me. and love uh, reliving that. By the way, I was, I was watching that final round with a friend of yours, Doc Eisen, and I were sitting in the locker room uh, watching it together, and uh, he acted like it was his son playing. <laughs> and he, I love Doc Eisen. He got so excited through the whole thing. It was really, really fun. And it actually, I, I didn't know you at the time, so uh, but – but it made me root for you because he was so uh, excited about well, it. Well, I needed all the help I could get. I know that. All right, so real quick, you're now British Open champ. How did it change your life? Mm-hmm. It seemed like I got two or three inches taller, a little better looking, <laughs> smarter. Everybody wanted to ask me questions, my opinion on stuff. Uh that didn't last very long, by the way. Uh, you know, it really didn't. It really didn't change. As you mentioned earlier, I was 38 years old when I was a rookie on the tour, which was the year I won the Open. Uh, had I been just out of college, 21, 23 or so, 
it might have been a lot different. But uh, other than getting in some tournaments that I probably would never have gotten in, uh, getting a lot better pairings, tea yeah. times. Did you, did you ever play with Tiger? Oh yeah, yeah. Bunch, right? Two you're times, you're yeah. at that you're at that A level now, right? Yep. You're 16th in the world. You probably yeah. got with everybody. I I think I got paired with him about five rounds. Okay. Not not as many as did you, you ever think, beat him. But were you playing head to head with him? Oh yeah. Did yeah. you? At least for that day, maybe not so yeah, much. Yeah, that's what I'm all, saying. Just for, for that day. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. So it begs a question. So we're watching this whole feud between Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka. And now with the internet and everything that's going on, it's it's so visible, right? Did it? Yes. Did, ever, did any of those happen while you were on tour? Not to my knowledge. No. You know, golfers are very fickle. They they could be the problem why they're not playing very well, but they could say it's the putter's problem, or it's the driver's problem, sure. or it's the irons, or it's the caddy's problem. I don't know. Bryson very well, uh, but he seems like he'd be very difficult to caddy for. He's this ver- generation version of VJ, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I had to be impossible to caddy for VJ, but you're making the money, so you did it, at least if you were. Right. Now, I mean, you're right. I mean, it, especially for somebody like you who's a field player, you probably can't fathom what he goes through. To- that That's a lot of extra work. Having said that, it looks like what he's – doing what he's trying to do works for him sure you know some people are just wired differently i'm a person i want you to carry my bag which i have to have a caddy there might be tournaments where if i didn't have to have a caddy and i knew the weather was going to be pretty good i might carry my own bag really yeah it might be a smaller version of the tour bag. So, so a caddy wasn't that important to no you. i read all my putts i carried a yardage book uh it was nice to have a guy that had a yardage book as well to Confirm. maybe catch a mistake that I made or mm-hmm. maybe I caught a mistake he made. So definitely work as a team. Uh, basically, I wanted a guy to carry my bag, keep my clubs clean. That's probably my – the I'm a stickler for having clean, clean clubs. clubs, yeah. Uh, even though the clubs might be all dented up and, you know, <laughs> cart path marks on the bottoms from hitting a bad shot, they had to be clean. Uh, but basically, I wanted a guy that, in between shots, took my mind off the golf, you know. Big hockey fan. We talk about Stars hockey or NHL hockey, uh, any kind of sports. Just don't don't talk about golf because you you focus on the golf shot for – you know, 30 seconds to a minute each shot. I don't want to do that for four and a half, five hours sure. straight. Sure. Just let me do it for a minute at a time. So that year, 2004, where you won those two events, your caddy made a nice living. He did, yeah. I wrote him a lot of big checks. But worth it. Oh, yeah. Did you ever go back yeah, and say, sure. hey, you know, I'm, I, I know like there was one year after Marco Miro won his two majors, he said, look, I'm putting my, my caddy on salary. He makes too much money. Did you ever think that way, or no. it was always worth it, right? No, yeah, I, I think Tiger probably did something like that. I, I was never the level of having to do that. How long did, did you keep the same caddy for a long time? I think he worked for me for at least three years, mm-hmm. and then he saw I wasn't playing very good and, and left, <laughs> which 
Hey, I, I, did he go some better, or did he? I I forget who he started working for. I, it was not a slight to me. I you know I I want the guy to do well. He he helped me sure get two wins. I think he started caddying on tour when he was 19. His nickname was Bambi, and that's <laughs> why he got the nickname Bambi because he started when he was really young. And he's had two wins in that night. And since he was 19, till I know he caddied at the John, or sorry, the uh, Byron Nelson this year. I don't know if he's still caddying, and I don't know if he is who he's caddying for. So he's worked since he was 19 till now, and he's probably, I'd say he's pushing 50, if not 50. So he's worked for quite a long time yeah. as a caddy. He's had two wins in that time frame, just for yours, and they were mine. Yeah, go good figure. for him. Good for him. All right, so I found this interesting. That um, Bravada has odds on who the next caddy for Bryson DeChambeau is going to be. Who's the best odds? Is Ben Showman. Ben Showman. Isn't he the guy that He's filled in? He's the guy from Puma, Cobra, or, or Cobra who um, filled in, yes. And he's two to three. Benji Thompson. Do you know Benji? I've heard the name, but I'm, I, sh- I know I know his face. He was the one who was caddying for Lexi Thompson and then left the LPGA to go with Kevin Chappell because he was going for the money's bigger. Yeah. Third is Tim Tucker. That <laughs> was his current caddy who quit. And that would be their third time together, I think, because I think they, they split early on, and then Bryson hired him in – I don't know, about three years ago. Okay, so, so I want to know if you had a dollar, and I'll give you the odd, do you tell me who you'd put a dollar on? Ben Sherman's two to three. Benji Thompson's three to one. Tim Tucker's five to one. Joe LaCava is ten to one. Look, Tiger's caddy hasn't, has, doesn't have anything to do. I think Tiger and Bryson are kind of friendly. So, I don't know. Bones McKay, 12 to one. Those two guys might be long shots. Although, isn't Bones part of the broadcast for NBC? I, but he takes breaks. He has mm-hmm. caddied, you know. Uh, I can't remember who he last caddied for, but he has caddied. Justin Thomas, I think he caddied for when yeah, his, you're right. his caddy was out. So, you have then you have Fanny Sonnison. Yeah. Uh, she used uh, to caddy for Faldo. Faldo for day. forever. Yeah. She's 14 to 1. Then you have Mike Callen, Fluff, Fluff, who's right now leading the Champions Tour with Jim Furyk, there's no way, and he's no. so old. I, I mean, I watch him; he barely can finish yeah. around. I don't. Stevie Williams at 21. Um, if he and Tiger are friendly, that will never happen. Um, I don't see that one happening. Billy Foster. He um, caddies for Westwood now. He did. He used to caddy for Seve back in the day. He used to caddy for Westwood until Westwood brought in his. Oh yeah, that's his, right. Yeah wife or fiance his wife now and then the, the last one that it probably jp fitzgerald which is 50 to 1 he was rory's caddy until rory said he didn't there's some good, good dark horses there yeah well you can get a lot of guys at 66 to 1 but i don't know any of these guys dale valley damian lopez don donatello gareth he, don donatello was on the big break back in the day he might have been the first big break really yeah so uh paul tesori 66 to 1 and uh, Jimmy Johnson's 100 to 1. There's no way Jimmy Johnson, <laughs> he's going to leave Justin Thomas to go to Bryson DeChambeau. No way. I might, it might be too soon after, but I might throw some money on Tim Tucker. All right. I'm going, I'm going with Benji Thompson. All right. So, do you know that, that Ben Showman guy that filled in, 
Do you know he caddied one other time? No. It wasn't in a pro event. It was in a pro-am for Holly Saunders. Do you think he watched? <laughs> do you think he watched Bryson DeChambeau tee up his ball more, or do you think he watched Holly Saunders tee up her ball more? We'll discuss that with Country Force coming up next on Sports Radio ninety six seven and thirteen ten. The ticket nine fifty nine on ticket. Uh, you got the tee box winding down. Thanks to uh, Todd Hamilton for coming out and talking about his career and everything golf and. Bringing the Claire Jug out for everybody taking pictures with. I'm about to drink V8 out of it. As he said, I'll be the only person ever to drink V8 out of a Claret Jug. So uh, thank him for all that. Next week, the tea box will be out at Ewing Buick GMC. So come see us out there. Uh, thanks to Classic BMW, a Classic Chevrolet. <laughs> And thanks to uh, PGA Tour Source for having us. And let's bring up Country Force. Hey. Hello. Hello, hello. So I have a question for Ty Walker. Okay. I might have an answer. I will turn my mic off. No, no, no. Keep your mic on. And I'm just going to ask you and Todd and, and to confirm and Eli as well. So you did play in that April Fool's I did. Open, right? Yes, I was good. So the American Century is on this week with, uh, as we said, Mike Madonna's leading. With, he had a nice little two on a par five. Yeah, a little albatross for old Mikey Moe. Yeah, he did. So he's got 25 points. But the bottom. Bottom. At 88th place is none other, none other than Al Michaels. <laughs> oh, Al. So this well, is he's a stable like for right? has got doesn't he? So you have... You get points for a par, he shoot his points age. for birdies. Probably points for a bogey. Points for a bogey, and you get no points for a double bogey or worse. Which so, I think you should take away. You he, should take away points. He's 76. So, Al Michaels is in last place. Al Michaels yesterday had one bogey and one par. And for 16 holes... He put the ball in his pocket. For Boy, total, that sounds yes, you do get minus points so I think you get unfun. Sure. So the question is. Yes, I could beat up Al Michaels. Can you beat Al Michaels beat in a round up. of stable for golf? You need one par and one bogey to tie him. I think Great story. <laughs> I think if we put uh, if we put Hammy on his bag, I think he probably probably gets that done. I, I think we could do that. Hammy on my well, bag? Hammy? Yeah. You just need three bogeys. You don't even need a par. You need three bogeys. I could do it. I think we could do that, yes. I could do it. I would have hated to have been the guys playing with Al Coach. yesterday. That would be none other than Kevin Nealon. Oh. <laughs> oh, subliminal message guy. Kicked Is he wearing his bad Al idea jeans playing? As he had two pars oh, and one bogey and 15 Pick up the ball and put pockets. it in your pocket. Which wow. is funny because he played a professional golfer in Happy Gilmore. Remember, he was in the That's same right. group with Happy. <laughs> I remember That's him as right. Tonto and Frankenstein Tonto and who else was it? <laughs> I can't remember. 
Oh boy. Yeah. Like so how be- like I get Al Michaels. Like he's really, really recognizable. He's one of the most famous broadcasters on the face of the earth. How does Kevin Nealon get an invite to this? Especially oh, if he's, he's that terrible. He's a star. I- I'll just add. I, and Keyword I understand, there was, was. I understand Al Michaels sucking. I understand Kevin Nealing sucking. I understand the Marcus Ware kind of sucking because he's just a big guy. <laughs> it's just, you know, Hank Haney used to say it's hard for those guys to grip the have the same grip every time that when they, their hands are so big. And so, yeah. But CC Sabathia, he's third from last. How's he that bad? <laughs> Sounds he can't like a, beat Ray Romano. Sounds like a lot of guys just needed a vacation. The only reason why CC Sabathia beat all those guys because he only had one par, but he had a birdie. Ooh, that will help you real quick. That that vaunted him in the 85th place. I'll tell you one thing that that kind of amazed me from this is when they were doing the. I guess they have a specific hole out there where it's like the long drive hole or whatnot. And, like, Pat Mahomes hit one the other day that was, like, 370. And then T.J. Oshie, the hockey player, yeah. he hit one yesterday that was, like, 370-something. I mean, dude, that's – Altitude. True, but it is still, altitude. that's – I mean, that's that's a pretty good lick for guys that probably don't play a whole bunch. And, like, Patrick Mahomes' swing is pretty rugged. By the way, the one I always look for <clears throat> at the bottom of the list, tied for 81st place. Tied with very pregnant Dylan Dreyer. It's none other than Charles Barkley. Beats seven guys. Old Chuck. He has a beautiful swing. You know, it's actually gotten now, a it's lot better. better. Oh, it has? It's better. like it's almost serviceable now. Like he's done he's done enough work on that thing finally. I mean, every time they, he always had a show on where somebody was trying to figure out his swing, and I guess it finally worked. Well, I mean, it, mainly, it looked like a seizure for about <laughs> 15 years. What a hitch in his yeah. giddy up. Yep. So yeah, I, I'll I'll be watching that tomorrow because I like watch. I like for whatever reason I love. I know the golf course. I've played it a couple times. And um, by the way, that course is playing with altitude is about six thousand yards, sixty one hundred yards. Okay. So when you see them, you know, having seven irons in the par fives, they're playing it. It's That's the altitude's short. really high, and they're playing it pretty up. So. That was one of the things I really enjoyed about watching the match earlier this week was them calculating the altitude versus what distance they were hitting it from. They say it's, what, about 10%? Yeah. I think uh, we when we were at Cornerstone Golf, Cornerstone up in uh, Montrose, it was 9,900 feet. They said it was 15% off the drives and less on the irons because it's not going as far. But it was 15% on driver. You so know when they used to have have that international out in the Denver yeah. area. Russ Cochran, I believe it was him. He used to take a seven iron and put a two iron shaft in it because the altitude's all about getting it in the air. So he had a seven iron, put a longer shaft, a two iron shaft, for his second shots into par fives. So with that seven iron loft, he could get it higher in the air, and it would go further because of the longer shaft and the altitude. And it would stop on the green. So why didn't everybody else do that? Couldn't tell you. Did you see Russ Cochran win a lot there? I did not. No. Yeah, that's, but he probably, that's probably why nobody else did it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did have one question for Todd before we go. I was curious. So obviously the, the Open Championship where you were in the playoff with Ernie, do guys that find themselves in major championship playoffs like Tiger and Rocco and – 
uh, you know, Mark Brooks and Ratif Goosen at the U.S. Open, just guys that are in these playoffs, do they do they stay in touch? Like, have you talked to Ernie like at all since then? Do you run into him? Do you see him? Are y'all friendly? I haven't seen him a whole lot, but if I do, I obviously know him well enough to to talk to him. Uh, I would think it'd be different if I'm out there every week playing still with him. I would definitely see him a lot more. Right. I bet it's easier to have a relationship with him because he's had a few major wins. If that was his, like, must be tough, like, when it was your only shot and now you haven't won one, like Rocco. That, that would have been tough going up to a person, yeah, that. You beat. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like John Vonneveld and. I'll bet that guy still never sleeps. <laughs> no way he especially wants to see Paul Laurie. Especially when they go back to Carnoustie, I'll bet he never sleeps that week. I wouldn't yeah. think so. Yeah. So how hard was it to get to the British Open this year? How, what were the travel restrictions and stuff? I'm sure you got emails to it. Oh, yeah. I was just going to pull it up and look. Uh, forgot all about it. Uh, yeah. You know, the, I think they're restricting guys for 10 days. I think they got that pass where the golfers don't have to do it. I heard uh, Mick Jagger was flying somewhere Ew. from somewhere into England to go watch a soccer match, and he got busted at this soccer match. He didn't spend 10 days in quarantine. So he was going to have to pay about a fourteen or $15,000 fine, I think. Ooh, I man, how's he ever going to come up with that cash? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, so I, I think they're guys that rent houses, they can't have – more than four people in it and they can't be unrelated you know it's got to be your family and i think they're what's crazy about all these restrictions they're putting on the golfers is they're going to let about 30 to 35,000 fans go out and watch in person which if it's that big a deal you probably shouldn't have mm -hmm. any people yeah of course it doesn't right. make but a lot of sense 35,000 times whatever the amount per ticket per day all of, a sudden, a lot of dough, yeah. all of a sudden, they're not walking so away bad. from in the Olympics. That, you know, that's going to put a lot of strain on the Japanese government. I think they have 800, to make, they, it's eight hundred million dollars loss of loss of revenue that the government has to make up, don't they? Uh, something, yeah. 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 That Who can boggles know? my mind. That's a tough one, pal. All right, fellas. Yep. Well, we'll let you uh, get after it. And, uh, we'll, I'm going to uh, drink out of the cup. All right. Or the cool jug. I'm sorry, the jug. Jug, do not it. cup, man. One yeah. Craig, one cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All see right, you fellas. We'll Have see you. Good show. See you. Broadcasting live from the TXU Energy Mothership at Victory Plaza, hard by the AAC, this is Sports Radio 96.7 and 13.10, The Ticket. KTCK AM Dallas-Fort Worth. KTCK FM Flower Mound.